on January 16, 2006, a little girl's unique story began as she was delivered into this world weighing only five pounds, one ounce. The first moments of her life were filled with suffering and struggle as she was transferred to a children's hospital and prepared for her first surgery just a few hours after her birth. She suffered from a condition called gastroschisis, which means her intestines developed outside of her body instead of inside where they belonged. Surgeons corrected this issue and even fashioned her a new belly button. She would prove her perseverance over the next three months while remaining in the hospital to receive the medical intervention necessary to her survival. Unbeknownst to us, God was weaving her story into ours in a way only he could orchestrate. During her months in the hospital, our family was also suffering and struggling through our own trials. And we could not yet see the plan that God was unfolding. Our eyes were too filled with tears from a miscarriage and the grief that followed. As if on cue, a month after our tragic news, the phone rang with expectant news. This little tiny baby was now strong enough to leave the hospital, and she needed the safety and care found in our home. Still unable to orchestrate any of this myself and in utter awe of God, my eyes landed on a specific verse on a flight to meet this baby girl and bring her home. Psalm 30, verse 11. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. This story being written was unquestionably a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, Isaiah 6.3. We welcomed this fragile, resilient, beautiful baby girl into our home, and we cared for her, her in ways unique to her healing body. We were anxious to watch her not barely survive, but thrive. By the grace of God's incredible design, what began in suffering and struggle in each situation became something new, something beautiful, something stronger. A very long year and a half later, our family anxiously awaited the entrance of the Honorable Violet C. Otero into a courtroom. And there we are, and there she is, and we are looking very different than we do today. <laughs> we were so ready to hear the words, it is therefore ordered that the adoption is granted, and the adoptee, Caitlin Nicole, shall now be the child of the petitioners. The adoptee shall now be known as Caitlin Joy Nicole Delahunt. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, because that's exactly what we did. Witnessed, signed, and celebrated with abundant joy. A journey which began in another woman's womb, wound its way into a new family, a new story, and a new name. Another important part of our adoption degree stated that Caitlin Joy and the petitioners shall now have the legal relationship of child and parent, as if the adoptee was the biological child of the petitioners. This means that KJ, 
Caitlin Joy's preferred name, has all the rights and is subject to all the duties of that relationship. Being subject to the duties does not mean she has some duties to fulfill in order for this to be legal or binding. She simply benefits because of her given rights. The fulfillment of those duties landed entirely on our shoulders. We, as her parents, carried the full weight of the responsibility. To become our child, KJ simply received. It was not necessary for her to bring anything or prove anything to be worthy of this relationship. All she could offer was herself. Her very existence was enough. Remembering this beautiful story of adopting KJ has deepened my understanding of becoming a child of God. My goal today is to help each of us consider the invitation of God to truly experience what it means to be his child. John 1.12 Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We receive the right to become children of God and the inheritance that comes with that right by believing in his son, Jesus Christ. The biblical authors understood that to believe and receive, excuse me, that to receive was to believe. These words are synonymous in this passage. What we don't find in this passage is a list of duties for us to earn a place in God's family. It is not about performing. It is not about productivity or what we bring to the table. All we need to offer is ourself. By believing in Jesus, we are granted the right to become God's children. The word right means power or authority given, not benefits earned. God is the provider of everything required for us to be born again, to be born of him. John 1.13, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. What does it mean to be born of God and not natural descent, human decision, or a husband's will? Bethany Allen of Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon, speaks assuredly into this. No amount of human action, willing oneself or convincing oneself, can make someone a child of God. It is not based on human methods, efforts, plans, or agenda. No amount of any effort on our part, perfect living, performance of religious duty, can do nothing to impart new life to you. We are powerless to attain new life on our own. God carries the full weight of the responsibility for us. He fulfilled all that was necessary for us to become his children. The Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. C.S. Lewis. When we become God's children, our origin story actually changes. We see this in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. In our adoption story of KJ, her story was changed to have the legal relationship of child and parent as if she were our biological child. Through adoption, she now carries our name and is now part of our story. Regardless of your origin story, 
you are invited into a new story. Maybe your story thus far has not been marked by love, joy, or wonder, but by indifference, discouragement, or suffering. Maybe this holiday is not a season that gives you cheer, but instead reminds you of the painful moments of your own story. I have good news. God is in the business of taking broken stories and transforming them into stories of grace. It does not matter where you have been, what you have done, or what has been done to you. You are invited to participate in God's story. This was his plan from the very beginning. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Before speaking creation into being and breathing life into the first human, Adam, God had already chosen us to be his adopted children. We were already in God's mind from the earliest of time. As he made this world, he was thinking of us, and he already was preparing the way for us to know him as Father. And that way is Advent, the incarnation of his Son. Through Jesus, we are offered the right to become children of God, adoption through sonship and daughtership. Though it cost God everything, this relationship is freely given to us. Maybe you have never received Jesus or believed in his name. I extend to you an offer to explore what it means to have your story changed to begin to know the unfailing love of a heavenly father who sees you, who knows everything about you, and in knowing, longs to welcome you into his family, into his heart, into his home. Perhaps you have received him. But if you're honest with yourself, maybe it's not all it's cracked up to be, at least not how you've experienced it. I have felt this way too. In my walk with God, there have been moments where I have felt his presence, his nearness. There have also been moments I have felt his seeming absence. There have been times I have known his comfort and his joy in his unexplainable peace. And many other times, like the psalmist in Psalm 6, verse 3, I have cried out, my soul is in deep anguish. How long, O Lord? How long? No matter what your experience is today, the invitation to experience the wonder of being a part of God's family remains. Many of us struggle to understand what it means to be a child of God. A lot of us feel the pressure to perform, to earn his approval. Sometimes we feel like we're supposed to plaster on a fake smile, mustering up all the positive feelings we can and ignoring the brokenness inside of us as well as all around us. Do you ever find yourself attending church, hoping to find the peace that you long for, yet also partly here because isn't that what good Christians are supposed to do? 
go to church on Sundays? Check spiritual duties off the list before returning to the steady race of another hectic week? This is not what God had in mind when he planned for us so long ago. In the beginning, he was planning for us. And he is a good, kind, loving father who delights in his children. To delight in something means to set your affections on it. God has set his affections on us. God didn't promise his children a life free of pain, suffering, or struggle. He did promise he would walk through this life with us and be our source of comfort and strength in the midst of the pain and the suffering and the struggle. It is God's delight to walk this journey of life with us. And he undoubtedly writes new stories from the broken places in our lives. He bestows beauty from ashes, joy from mourning. He takes our shatters hearts and from them births something new and beautiful and even stronger. While this is the hope of Advent, sometimes our reality feels quite different. Christmas can be a time of lights and laughter and family gatherings, anticipating good things, eagerly awaiting to see a loved one's expression when they open the gift you picked out for them or lovingly made for them. But Christmas can also be a time of constant rushing, the overflowing calendar keeping us from finding time to rest or spending time with those we love the most. Finances weigh us down as we wonder how the budget will stretch to buy gifts for everyone on our list, with the cost of living increasing so rapidly. Instead of holiday cheer, maybe what you feel this season is loneliness, darkness, trying to obscure the light. Technology developed to make connecting easier and faster changes quickly with every update while our actual relational connectedness slips farther and farther from our reach. We can't seem to stop and find time to visit with a neighbor. We can't even struggle or we do struggle to fit in a single hour for coffee with our closest friends whom we haven't seen for months. While the demands on our schedule grow larger, our hearts inside grow depleted. In a recent devotion, Carrie Newoff wrote, the price of busyness is your heart. From his personal experience, he declared, it became easy to justify my busyness because all the activity that was numbing my soul for Jesus was for Jesus, yet my spring had dried up. As my heart went hard, everything else good dried up. My patience, my kindness, my compassion, my gentleness, gone, and I was a pastor. How often do we find ourselves going through the motions of life, rushing to get it all done before the clock strikes too late of an hour, never stopping to ask ourselves, is this the life God intended for his children? I know I am guilty of this. I have good intentions to remember him in everything that I do, to get my needs met in him, but I often default into thinking, I have to do it all on my own, in my own strength. I imagine some of you feel the same. We start the week with good intentions to meet God first thing in the morning, so we set the alarm earlier. But when the early hour comes, we hit the snooze button so many times that we eventually waked panicked, 
rush to get ready, swallow a shot of caffeine before the chaos of the day sweeps us into its unceasing flow. Or maybe you're one to waken easily with the first alarm buzz, but instead of reaching for the Bible, you begin the day hoping to fill the void inside with knowledge of the latest post, knowledge of the latest news, affirmation of a recent post, or some other dopamine fix from the phone we're never separated from because we call it a tool and refuse to see it as the idol it has become. This is not the life God intended for his children. When we live in this pattern, we're so vulnerable to the enemy who would love nothing more than to watch us limp through life powerless, blind to what is available to us as God's children. This is not even close to thriving. This is barely surviving. This is living as if we were neglected, not beloved children. Recently, the 24-7 prayer team invited people to join them in a commitment to daily prayer rhythms. One of those rhythms is to pray the Lord's Prayer every day. As I began this rhythm, there were times when I would come to the words, give us today our daily bread and find myself in a posture of begging as if God were stingy and withholding it from me. This was the scarcity mindset Pastor Andrew taught about a few weeks ago. But God is not at all like Ebenezer Scrooge, refusing Bob Cratchit a single coal in the stove to bring warmth to the freezing cold room. He is a generous father who loves to give us our daily bread. It brings God pleasure to provide for us, to fill us, and to satisfy us. He sings over us, and he delights in us. It is not a burden to be a child of God. It's a privilege. It's a joy. He longs for us to embrace that reality, to enjoy the fullness of his identity, of our identity as his children. Listen to Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit. And, sorry, I lost my place. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That sounds like abundant living, does it not? To be strengthened with power in our inner being, not from notifications, but through his spirit. Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith, being rooted and firmly established in love, able to comprehend the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love. We can know Christ's love, which surpasses knowledge. We can be filled with all the fullness of God and live out of that fullness if we are willing to receive. I saw a funny TikTok video of a man acting out his perspective of what men look like, what women, it was a man, his perspective of what women look like when getting into the car. I, la <laughs> I laughed really hard because it actually represented me. I, yes, I leave the, <laughs> 
I leave the house with my giant purse, many other things, including all the necessities, which I'm sure I cannot live without through my many travels to Albuquerque, and at least two drinks. My husband can affirm that. <laughs> if you catch me in my hustle to get out the door because you had a gift for me that would actually make my day easier, there would be no, day, no way I could receive this gift. My hands would simply be too full. I would have to put down a lot of stuff before I could receive what was offered. Now, that stuff I'm carrying, unlike the cat in the hat, that's okay, <laughs> that stuff that I'm carrying is actually all useful. I don't need the fish in the fishbowl. I'm not randomly picking up whatever's between me and the door to actually just have something in my hands. Isn't this similar to our daily schedules? Our to-do list consists of things that are necessary, things that simply must get done. So how do we do all the things required of us every day while maintaining a posture that allows us to receive the abundance God offers his children? As I read through the Christmas story in Luke 2, I found a little verse tucked in there that might give us a hint. This verse comes after Jesus being born, and Joseph and Mary have found themselves surrounded by visitors, the shepherds who had been told by the angels to go find the newborn king. As for the shepherds, they excitedly share what they have witnessed. As for Mary, we get a glimpse of her heart posture in verse 19. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. In the midst of all that was happening around her, and there was a lot that was happening around her during a very intimate moment of her life, Mary took the time to be still and ponder. I believe there's an invitation here for us as well this Christmas. Be still and ponder. Ponder the beauty of nature outside, not just the screens inside. Ponder the fingerprints of God in our daily lives. Ponder the mystery of Christ's coming. Now, I get that in this crazy, busy world, it seems impossible to slow down, to find time to be still, much less make space in our minds to ponder. But the truth is, it is possible. In the book Prayer, Does It Make Any Difference? by Philip Yancey. A man named Anthony regularly asks himself the following questions. How can I slow down? How can I simplify things? How can I bring silence into my life? How can I savor this moment? How can I shed my armor and masks? How can I soften my approach to life? How can I serve others, my community? J. Heinrich Arnold says, Christian discipleship is not a question of our own doing. It's a matter of making room for God so that he can live in us. Mary did this. She made room in her life for God to bring Jesus into the world through her body. She also made room in her heart to treasure the gift God gave her. Advent isn't just about business establishments giving employees a day off to eat a lot of good food and open presents. The heart of Advent can be found in the longing for the Messiah, the waiting for his coming and making room for him. There was no room for him 
in the inn? Is there room for him in your heart? I dare say that finding time for God boils down to the choices we make. Think about this. I'm a mom, and there are many things I do for my children. What if my children constantly ignored me and what I provide for them? I make breakfast, but they choose to forage through the trash, looking for something there to abate their hunger, ignoring the food and drink on the table. I've washed and hung clean clothes in the closet, but they return to yesterday's dirty outfit and put that on. I turn on the heater and have a blanket ready on the couch to snuggle. They choose to stay outside in the cold, shivering, uncomfortable on the hard ground, ignoring the invitation to come inside. Wouldn't that be ridiculous? What would you do? What would you say? to these children who don't seem to notice the offerings in front of them? Would you be as patient with them as God has been with you? Would you think they were stubborn, visually impaired, unable or unwilling to receive what I have provided for them? Can we ask ourselves that same question? Why do we keep going through the motions of our routine without receiving the joy, the peace, the strength which God offers us each day? Why do we keep spinning on the hamster wheel hoping to find love and acceptance in what we see around us while our Heavenly Father patiently waits for us to drop all the world offers and open our hands and our hearts to His gifts? Just because we can't see Him doesn't mean He isn't there. He is more real than anything we can see, feel, taste, or touch. So are we stubborn, unwilling to make time for him? Do we truly believe that he has what we need, or do we really believe that we have to get it for ourselves? In the book, Get Your Life Back, John Eldridge writes, I don't think we've admitted to ourselves just how much belief is a choice. In our therapeutic age, we've become so self-conscious, so deeply entangled in our personal experiences, we think belief is also an experience, something we mostly feel. It is not. It is first and foremost an act of the will, a choice. We may not always experience what we think God's love should feel like, but we can be firmly established in the belief of that love we read about in an earlier verse. In John 20, 27, Jesus tells Thomas, stop doubting and believe. In that moment, belief was a choice Jesus was inviting Thomas into, not an emotional experience, but a choice of his will and his mind. We also have numerous opportunities every day to choose to believe that God is who he says he is, that he is with us, and choose to connect with him or not. We can choose to start our day seeking God with all our heart, or we can choose to seek the world's offerings on a screen with all our attention. We can choose to pause and be still, listening for God's voice, or we can fill every minute with noise from the radio, playlists, podcasts, TV. 
We can choose to surrender with open hands and open hearts to his ways and his thoughts or hang on tight to our own opinions and desires. We can choose to take two minutes, two minutes to look around and notice evidence of God's creation or his presence around us. Or we can choose to constantly be consumed with the workload, the to-do list, the unswervingly focused on the task at hand. Our work is important. I'm not denying that. There is no doubt about that fact, that our work is important. And it takes a lot of time and energy in our day. What I want to stress is that God is also important. And he loves spending time with us and supplying the energy and the creativity we need for the work that we do, the tasks at hand. Listen to Acts 17, 24 through 28. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. In him we live and move and have our being. As some of our poets have said, we are his offspring. My hope is that we will begin to live and move and truly have our being in him. To choose to take moments throughout our day to stop, to breathe, to hold out our hands, and let go of all we're holding on to, even just for a moment, so that we can connect with our Heavenly Father who wants to fill us with all the fullness that he offers, the fullness of his love. Can we step away from the chaos and step into the waiting arms of our Father? This involves surrender more than doing. Surrender of our schedule, surrender of our time, our calendar, our money, our relationships. In surrendering, we make room for him to be God in our day, in our schedule, in our time, with our money, and in our relationships. He is Lord, but we won't know him as Lord or comforter or friend or counselor or ruler or king or guide if we don't spend time getting to know him. If we don't spend time letting him love us, we will never be able to fully live as his children. We are invited to come into our Father's presence without fear of rejection, being pushed away or shamed. We are loved so much more than we can imagine. I challenge you, even in this busy Christmas season, choose to make time for God. Choose to make room for him in your schedule and in your heart and in your life. Choose this Advent season to ponder the baby in the manger and what his coming means for this broken world and for you personally.
Maybe Jesus hasn't shown up in your life the way you thought he should. Remember, he didn't show up for those of Jewish descent as they thought he should either. They were not expecting God to come near in the humble form of a baby, bringing them deliverance from their sins. They were anticipating a military figure bringing deliverance from Roman rule. But if what they were expecting was all Jesus gave them, where would we be today? Through the unexpected nearness of Jesus' birth, followed by his sacrificial death and miraculous resurrection, we are given the opportunity to believe in his name. And in believing, we receive all we need to live fully as his beloved children. Fanny Longfellow, wife of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, wrote about her first experience receiving the sacrament of communion. Included in her diary are these words. Happiness, too deep for speech or thought, succeeded a blessed, blessed peace. The very peace which angels on the first Christmas day promised us. Only once or twice before, I can remember this peculiar feeling of serene yet fervent joy, the Father's love encircling us like an atmosphere, pressing evenly on our whole being like light. I chronicle this event so minutely because it is one of the few which make life memorable and death happy. The Father's love encircling us is, worth, is what makes life worth living and death happy. Love is God's gift to us at Advent. The promise of Advent is not a life free of troubles. It's an invitation to live fully loved. Annie Johnson Flint wrote these words. God hath not promised skies always blue, flower-strewn pathway all our lives through. God has not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But God hath promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. That poem marvelously encapsulates the story of our adoption of Caitlin and the story that can be written for you. This Christmas, choose to let the unexpected nearness of God, the baby born in Bethlehem, be your open door to embrace the nearness of Jesus to you personally. The journey which began in heaven has wound its way into your life. When we invite Jesus into our days, when we make space for him in our hearts, when we push aside all the distractions and make room for him in our schedules, this is what we communicate to God. We love you. We believe you. We trust you. And we want to honor you, God, with our attention and our time. Because you matter to us, Lord. You are a good, good father, and we are grateful to be adopted into your family, to be your children. As we've been practicing this Advent season, let's lift our voices to God in this liturgy together.
Please stand. Oh God, break upon us this Advent season. Awaken our weary hearts again to the wonder and beauty of the incarnation. Surprise us with your unexpected nearness disguised as everyday life. Cultivating us, longing for the kingdom that is coming, and may it bubble up and over into a deep and sincere adoration for you, our King. Come quickly, long expected Jesus. We wait for you. <laughs> 